Hi everyone. You know, every year since Tammy and I started dating, uh, we've had fondue every single New Year's and we've been married for 26 years. So that's probably close to 30 years of fondue every single New Year's Eve. And we've celebrated every one of those years with different family, different friends. And you know, I don't know if you've had fondue or not, but it's an experience. You know, you just kind of graze for like, you know, several hours, uh, just kind of talking and being with your friends, enjoying really good food. And you know, you cook as you go, piece by piece, chicken, we usually have beef, we'll have um, shrimp, um, broccoli, and my mom has a fondue uh, sauce, dipping sauce recipe that she's had since the 60s, and Tammy's taken that on. And um, we'll have cheese fondue with bread, and then she'll usually have for dessert, she'll have chocolate fondue, and she'll bring out strawberries and bananas. And it's just, it is an amazing experience. It's as far from fast food as you can get. And that's the beauty of it. It's just great time with great friends, great conversation. And we've done that for pretty much every New Year's for about 30 years. And every year at New Year's, you know, one of the things we talk about is, you know, what's going to happen in this next year? We would have never foreseen this last year coming. I mean, you know, think about it. who who would have. We started out with an impeachment then a pandemic, and then the racial divisions and the riots, and then the economic decline, and working from home, and the Zoom meetings, and school closures, business closures, ugly battles for Supreme Court justices, you know, presidential election right now in a very deeply divided nation. And there's more, the list goes on. All the while, churches have struggled to find new ways to gather and experience fellowship. You know, think about my parents. This has been a really hard year for them. You know, my mom was in the hospital, spent almost two months in rehab after um, just not being able to, to be together, let alone to come together to worship with family and friends like uh, both of them have their whole lives. You know, this is when we need that the most, right? the community, fellowship, support, church. 2020 has been really hard. And we need the church now more than ever, you know, but logistically it's, it's been a struggle to say the least. And as we move further and further in the fall and into the winter, we're, we're trying to find new creative ways uh, to continue some of our really important traditions, our annual traditions that we come together to celebrate all church conference and night of a thousand candles and living nativity and especially Christmas Eve. You know, all of those events by far surpass the 200 person attendance rule. All church conference, you know, are centered in the gymnasium and all around a meal, we have hundreds of people just packed in that gym, and it's a, it's a wonderful celebration, just like our worship gatherings, just like Nativity. And we spent a lot of time praying about that. What do we do? You know, we're not alone. Churches all throughout the globe are dealing with the same issues. You know, the last several months, we've really tried to find churches to share 
all across the nation. You know, what are you doing? How are things going? I'm in a weekly online group with Reggie McNeil, uh, our church consultant, and he and a bunch of pastors from all over the country, and it focuses just leading church discipleship throughout this season. And we listen to one another and we learn from one another. A month or so ago, our whole staff participated in a leadership institute that I've been part of for quite some time. Thousands of pastors and church leaders uh, came together online all over the United States and the globe. And, and, you know, we talked about ministry in the era of COVID. And it's just nice to hear that you're not alone, that other churches are dealing with the exact same issues. And, you know, we're a lot further down the curve than we realized on quite a few things. One really scary statistic 30% of church members throughout this season are going to change churches, statistically. Now, I don't think that's ever going to happen to us, but it does tell me there is a need for an emphasis on community in churches across the nation today. It's really easy for drift to happen, and we don't want that to occur. We need one another now more than ever. Speaking of one another, did you know that the phrase one another happens in the New Testament over a hundred times? Uh, verses from Jesus, from Paul, from James, from Peter. About a third of those call for unity within the church. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble um, one, around one another. Don't complain against one another. Be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving to one another, and accept one another. And, and there's a bunch of others. About another third, just say Christians are to love one another. There's a, about 15% that are a call for humility. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. And the rest just kind of are kitchen sink. They just describe a whole bunch of different things like don't judge one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, pray for one another, speak the truth to one another, don't lie to one another, and comfort one another. We thought these one another passages would be a great thing for us to study right now. Obviously, we're not going to look at all 100 passages by any means, but over the next month, we're going to explore each one of these categories, and we're going to hear from Jesus, from Paul, from James, from Peter. One another is going to be the theme of our all-church conference this year. Like I said, we generally have hundreds of people uh, eat a family-style meal the week before Thanksgiving for all-church conference, and that's not going to happen. Instead, we're going to have a month of just celebrating God's presence in the midst of this season with one another. And you're going to hear a lot more about that in the weeks to come. But rather than a three-hour meeting, we're going to have a, a series of just short videos that we'll share that'll highlight every single one of the ministries that uh, we have in our church and, and how we have experienced this call to live, love, and grow throughout 2020 and how we're preparing to 
follow God's call in 2021. No matter what, we have God, we have one another. This next week is going to be a hard week, I think. And probably the weeks to come afterward. We're a divided nation. And we're facing a very contentious election. It's a really difficult time. We need Christ. And we really need one another. We need to hear the words of wisdom from the New Testament about living in community with one another. The words of unity. I think there's something every single church and every single Christian needs to hear right now. This isn't the first time the church has lived through difficult times. You know, I love Paul's letters so much, and especially his letter to the church at Rome. In Romans 12 through 13, Paul, he talks about the need to live in agape. Now, agape is one word for love in Greek. It's a specific type of love, and it's a really self-giving love. It's It's a love that focuses on the needs of another. And he paints this picture of Christians living out agape in community in in chapters 12 through 13. Then in 14 through about the first half of 15, Paul applies that exhortation to live in agape to the church at Rome while they're in the midst of a conflict. Paul doesn't name the people that are in conflict, but he talks about those who are strong and those who are weak. And he means in that church, those who have a strong faith and those who have a weak faith. He doesn't even commend the strong over the weak. That's not his point. He doesn't condemn the judgment, or he does condemn the judgment of both, excuse me. And, and there's, there's a lot of love of just one another's in this section. Um, the whole section is on loving one another with agape love. But he talks about not judging one another. And he talks about not making one another stumble. But then he really stresses the importance of living in unity and harmony with one another. In the Christian community, agape love is not just tolerating someone with a different opinion. I think this is important for us right now. It's not just tolerating them. Agape, this is a love that genuinely accepts those who have a different way of seeing things simply because you're bound to them as a brother or sister in Christ. They're family. You know, Paul doesn't argue for unity and harmony on ethical terms, not on moral terms, although he could. I mean, Paul, Paul, I believe, is the smartest person to ever walk the earth outside of God incarnate in Jesus. I mean, he's, he's brilliant, and he had the tools, and he had the brain to argue ethics and morals But Paul's argument for Christians to live in community based on selfless love for others in the midst of conflict, he bases it all on the example of Jesus, Christ and Christ alone. This is what Jesus did. This is who Jesus is. And if you want to be his follower, You have to go where he goes, and you have to do what he does. We need to go and do likewise. Listen to Romans 15, 1 through 6. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot going on in there. Christ, he's saying, didn't live a life pursuing his own desires and his own needs. He set them aside and he lived and he died for others. If you want to be his follower, you go where he goes. You do what he does. This is what a disciple does. They follow their leader. Christ's followers, Christ's disciples, they live in harmony with one another, Paul says. He says, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that we glorify God with one voice. I mean, there's an if-then statement there. And this is classic Paul. He says, if you live in harmony, then you glorify God with one voice. Believers who live in harmony bring glory to God. There's a really interesting word in verse 6, and it's translated here as together. It's homothomidon in Greek, and, and it, it means a unity that comes from an outside source. If we focus on how each one of us wants things to be, our relationships are going to break down fast, right? We need someone beyond ourselves, Paul is saying, that will pull us out of our division that comes from just being human. And we have that something with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us, resides within us. Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit sustains us. And the Holy Spirit transforms us. So that our thoughts and our actions become more and more like the thoughts and actions of Christ. As we grow in Christ, the Spirit changes our hearts and our actions. And they stem more and more toward love of God and love of neighbor. Love of God, love of neighbor is the goal. Jesus said they're the greatest of the commandments. You know, love of God, that sums up the first half of the Ten Commandments, and love of neighbor, that's the second half of the Ten Commandments. And that's the goal of a disciple, to love God, to love neighbor. You know, think about a marriage. This comes up in marital counseling all the time. There's a time in every single marriage where you have to decide, are the needs of the relationship, are they going to be more important than the needs of the self? If not, the relationship's going to die really, really quickly. Now, it has to be both. What do I mean? If one person is saying what you want is more important than what I want, and the other just goes along with that, that's codependency, and that's a bad thing. But if both are seeking to serve the other, that's agape love. And that's what Paul says needs to happen in the church. 
He's talking about Rome in the midst of a crisis. They need to commit to agape love. But I think he's calling us in 2020 to do the same. That's a big part of what communion is about, right? It's a meal. It's a fellowship meal. We're here in the restaurant, in the church. I don't know how many meals I've had in the restaurant over the years. We used to have at least several a week. You know, in the Old Testament, the model for worship, it's an altar. It's a place where a priest goes to make a sacrifice for people. Goes to God, sacrifices on the altar. There's a move into the New Testament. And the model of worship in the New Testament is a table. Jesus came so that we don't need someone else to sacrifice for us to pay for our sins. He did that for us. And we gather at a table with the God who dwells among us. We want to have communion every single week this month. And I know it's really difficult. Um, we have these packaged communions that we're going to have in worship Sunday morning. And we're, we're trying to get these to everyone. And if you want one, please contact us. We have them here. You can come and pick them up. Um, they're, they're going to be available in the teen center on Tuesdays through Fridays during regular business hours. Uh, but also we can get them to you, even if we have to mail them. Uh, we've had a lot of people from out of state who watch us every single week. They're part of our church. And, you know, if you would like one, please let us know. We'll get it to you. There is a lot of symbolism in communion. The bread and the cup. Just in the names for communion, you know, we throw around different names. Communion comes from koinonia, means fellowship. That means we're bound together. We're united together. That God's spirit brings us together as the body of Christ. When we take the bread and the cup, we're bound together. We're bound with God. Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. And as disciples, together, we're the church. And God gives us this physical reminder. And, you know, we say when we take communion, God, I want you here. I receive your love. And I love you, Lord. Communion is our family meal. We're brothers and sisters, and, and we are the family of God. Another term for communion is the Lord's Supper. And, and it comes from a, a concept of remembering what Jesus did, amnesis in Greek. But it's not just remembering what happened in the past. It's bringing it into the present. Our faith is rooted in what Jesus did on the cross. And we remember that. We remember what this man, Jesus, did. He loved us so much. He was willing to die on a cross, to give his body, to shed his blood. There was a cost that was paid so that we could be forgiven. He was the Lamb of God. He gave his life for you. Lord's Supper means this is Jesus' table. 
and and it's open for all and there again you know he took the altar of the old testament and, and and broke it as he offered his body to be that final sacrifice so that we can gather in community in communion at the lord's table we remember the offer of forgiveness and restoration and grace and love that Jesus offers when we have this meal. You know what it's like to just feel incredibly dirty and then just take a shower. I, I remember as a kid, you know, I think the dirtiest, I've had a lot of dirty jobs over the years, but pulling rye in a wheat field is about as dirty as it gets. And I come in after a whole day and I get in the shower and just you look down and you just see all that caked everything just going down the drain. <laughs> that filth, it's cleansed. We're all sinners. When we receive the Lord's Supper, we're, we're cleansed. We're saying, Lord, I, I, I need this. I can't do this on my own. And I need your forgiveness, your sacrifice on the cross. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Another term that we use for communion is Eucharist, giving thanks. Whenever Jesus in the New Testament broke bread, he, he always gave thanks, always. And he had a lot of meals in the New Testament with a lot of people, 4,000, 5,000, I mean, you know, tax collectors, he just ran the whole gamut with the people he ate with. At the Last Supper, he gave thanks. Before he died, he gave thanks in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was crying out, please, Lord, take this cup from me, he still gave thanks. Grace is offered. It's not cheap grace. It came at a great cost. But it's free to us, and it's filled with joy. You know, it's so easy to just focus on all the negative things and things that are wrong, especially this year. And, you know, sometimes we just kind of feel like we got this black cloud that's just hanging around following us. And there is so much. Holy Communion is a moment that we just stop and we pause and we realize all that God is doing and bringing into our lives. The grace and the mercy, and we give thanks. It's a time that the clouds separate and we can offer gratitude for God. Communion is, is our covenant meal. As the Old Testament, the covenant people, they, they had a sign of the covenant. This is, this is our sign. We are God's people. And it's a moment that we can once again receive God's mercy, that we can once again rededicate our lives to God. To me, this has always been our weekly altar call. And above all, it's an outward sign of an inward grace. It's something that I do that 
is bringing home the fact that, that God is at work in my life. I want to share this with you. I'm hoping that you have elements at home if you have bread and you have juice, if you have wine, uh, whatever you have available. We'll have, during gathered worship, we'll have communion. For all of those who are gathering us on, with us online, we'll have communion. And for those of you who watch this later on, I just want to share in this holy meal as Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And afterwards, he took the cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, drink, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. This meal grafts us together in unity, in harmony, as the Holy Spirit brings us closer and closer into family. In the midst of 2020, we are the children of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this holy meal. I thank you for the symbols inherent. I thank you for the grace and I thank you for the mercy and I thank you for the hope that we experience. Help us in the midst of our fracturedness to be made whole as we look forward to the moment that you bring all of creation together and you heal us and you restore us. And we feast at your heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is yours, Father Almighty, now and forever. Amen.